Hey friends, Scotty here. And before this episode kicks off, we want to thank Fista Blue for writing our theme song. It's perfect, they nailed it, and we can't thank them enough. So thank you so much. And with this episode, it does run a little long, but Chris, who we interviewed tonight and talked to, he shares with us one of his short stories that he wrote. His writing's incredible, please check it out. So please stick around for the episode and listen to his story. It was amazing, and he's just super talented. And we hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Come on, let's go in time for another show. And we're glad you tuned in, because we just can't wait. We're going to have a chat, relax, maybe listen to some track. But the fans had a really great cast. It's the Ambivalence Podcast. It's the Ambivalence Podcast. It's the Ambivalence Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ambivalence. Uh, I'm Scott. I am Nick. And joining us today is, I'm a super thrilled, he is the punk rock author, the rock and roll world slinger, the heavy metal maestro, the magical Chris Epley. Thank you so much for joining us, dude. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's good yeah, to be here. It's our pleasure. I turned it up your Facebook. <laughs> I thought it was perfect. Yep. <laughs> that's per- that's perfect. That's the intro I wanted. So cool. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Well, thanks so much for joining us. How, how's it going tonight, man? Oh, it's going great. Uh, just kind of hanging out. Cool weather. It's starting to cool off here a little bit. So it's got that spooky Halloween feel. I'm loving it. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, wh- where where are you located? I am in East Central Illinois. I am about two two hours south of Chicago. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like everybody we have on the show is from the mid the Midwest. <laughs> it's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I guess I need to move. A lot of great You just did. You don't need to go anywhere. You just park <laughs> right there. <laughs> well, I met Chris actually a few months ago at uh, it was the what was supposed to be the queers, the Jasons, and the Dwarves. However, queers had COVID. And then, uh, because just the Jasons and Rage and Nathans and the Dwarves, Jasons had a longer set, which was cool. Anyway, uh, as I babble on, um, Chris had a Sunday morning shit show pin on. And I was like, oh, cool. I can. And he was talking to uh, Hollywood at the time. And I go to point at my button of my Sunday shit show to, like, oh, I have something in common. And I lost it. And I felt like an idiot. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, fuck. Uh, I have that pin, though. And yeah. <laughs> that um, I don't know. So that's, uh, that's how it all began, huh? That's how it all began. All right, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, through Facebook, I found he's a writer, and I was, and that he was uh, doing uh, a contest, like a short story contest, which hasn't been announced yet, right? The winners. Uh, no, the winners and how well we all place that have submitted, they should be getting uh, results to us out by, they said, at least November 1st, maybe a little bit later. Cool. So it's definitely coming up. And then, uh, yeah, and then I thought he would be just an excellent person to talk to. And here we are now. Yeah, Absolutely. Are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that uh, was a... Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying that was a really fun night. <laughs> that was that was really cool. 
Yeah, I'm jealous. You guys get a lot of good shows over there. I mean, we're both going to the Dan Babbitt show in November. Yes, that's going to be amazing. Another one of my all-time favorite punk rock heroes. Same. Yeah. And likewise. also, I, I haven't seen the copyrights yet either, so I'm really stoked to see the copyrights. Uh, to to be honest, I haven't I haven't heard of them. Oh no, no, I haven't. You're gonna be in for a treat. Uh, they're 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 they are great. I mean, in my opinion, you might think differently, but I, I think they're fantastic. So it's gonna be well, fun. You know, you know my thoughts. I'm not I'm not a huge fan. So that's right. To each their own. But yeah, they're 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 all right. I'm just not massively into them like you are. They're very gang vocals forward. Okay. But I think that's why I like them. But I think I think they're cool. Well, well everybody's uh, got I was, their own type of thing. You know, they exactly. like their own thing. We all can't we all can't like the same thing, otherwise life would be kind of boring, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Very true. That's why I listen to all you should see the different stuff I listen to, other than what we talk about all the time. I listen to some <laughs> fucked up stuff. <laughs> I will say that uh, if anybody could see my iPod, and yes, I still use an iPod, uh, they would probably be <laughs> shocked at some of the stuff that's on there. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the same for me. Uh, even stuff that I haven't even told Scott that I listen to. I have some dirty <laughs> secrets. Dirty, dirty music secrets. <laughs> I don't think you should call them a dirty secret. If you like it, you like it. Fly that flag, man. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Maybe I should. So anyway, so we, how did you get into... <laughs> yeah, so we're going to just like... Um, how did you get into writing? And what specifically about like doing short stories rather than like full-length novels uh, led to that direction? Um, writing actually started for me relatively young and, uh, I've all, I don't know. I've always been told I have a gift for storytelling and I'm going to, I'm going to date myself on this here. Uh, but when I was really, really young, my mom had gotten a electric typewriter and this was huge. This was a big deal. So my big thing was with a lot of the stories that I would come up with, with my own little action figures and stuff, I'd create my own little scenarios and, you know, play out different things from, you know, act like movies I saw and just play out the stories. Well, when she got the electric typewriter, I had uh, took it upon myself to learn how to do this, to learn how to use it. And I start, I just started to crank out like started out as like short, short sentences. And then eventually I just started making stories and stuff. And eventually it turned into like, I keep cranking this stuff out. And by the time I got into school and we were doing uh, narrative essays and English class and stuff, that was my absolute favorite part because I would crank this stuff out and I always got high marks on that. Well, I never really took it seriously until probably I'd say 10 years ago. And the reason that I chose a short story format and it's kind of the same reason I went back to it is um, short stories kind of help you flex your writing muscles. And no matter what any writer says, none of us are perfect and we all make mistakes and I'm no different than anybody else. 
So in order to get better, I would just start cranking out short stories. Now, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, so and he's done a ton of short story collections. So my thought was, and I'm really into horror as well, uh, write a bunch of horror short stories. And that's what I did. I started doing them. I'd, yeah, I'd say about 10 years ago. And uh, I started cranking these things out before I wanted to flesh out a novel. Well, I had, I'd say roughly between 30 and 40 complete short stories at varying lengths. And one of the guys I was uh, working with had suggested to me, he says, you might want to think about getting published. And it never crossed my mind until this guy I worked with had told me that. I said, okay, I'll, you know, hey, I'll look into it. I'll give it a shot. So I look into it. I look into uh, finding a literary agent and uh, I'm getting my portfolio ready, getting everything edited for uh, manuscript purposes. And I go to the flash drive I was storing everything on. I'm dating myself again here. <laughs> um, and every file I had, all 30 to 40 stories, I can't even remember how many I had, they were gone. All the files were corrupted, and I had no backups, no nothing. It was gone. Oh, man. That so sucks. Was, yeah, this was like my my work, everything that I poured you know, my heart and soul and creative juices into was just gone. So I was, I was devastated. And with that devastation, I kind of gave up and didn't think nothing, uh, didn't think nothing much else about it until uh, the pandemic hit. And of course my job, like a lot of other people's uh, we were down for probably about two months and I'm thinking, trying to fill my time because I was going stir crazy uh, I decided to, yeah, maybe I'll dabble into writing again because I, re I really do love it. I love creating. I love stories, just everything about it. And I just happened to make one short story, which uh, it's up on my website, the, the one that I uh, did when I returned to writing. And just hearing the positive reaction from everybody out of all this has got me wanting to do this again. Now, awesome. I know that that was a little bit of a long explanation, but uh, the with the short stories, what I'm wanting to do with this is, and how I'm looking at it is, like in a music sense, these shorts are like demo tracks. These aren't really going to be any type of songs that are going to be on an album per se. It's just a demo. And what I'm doing with these demos to get my writing style, I guess, out there is that's why I'm putting them up on my website, you know, no charge for free. Anybody can go on there and read them if they want to. Uh, I want everybody to see, you know, this is what I do. This is how I create. And maybe some of these characters will show up in my novel. Maybe they won't. Uh, maybe some of the locations will. Maybe they won't. I don't know yet. So as I'm uh, working on my manuscript for uh, my actual novel, the short stories are going up on the website periodically as I crank them out. And it's just been a, it's been an amazing reaction from everybody that has read anything that I've written. They've all, I mean, just not just family. I mean, complete strangers that have read my stuff. I've gotten messages that are like, dude, I love the story. You know, this is great. When's part two. And I'm sitting here like, well, there really isn't a part two. It was just a standalone, but right. I'm glad you liked yeah. it. So that's 
pretty much the boat that I'm in now, where it started, what happened in the middle, and where I'm at at this point. That's awesome. awesome, man. Yeah, but is, so are you still doing, like, because most of your stuff now is it's not so much horror-related, is it? It's not horror-related. It's, well, I don't want to say it's not. Uh, because Horror-adjacent? It's, there will be elements of horror, and I don't think I can escape that. And I think it's true with any artist or any creator that whatever you're influenced by, and it's maybe it's just by osmosis or whatever the case is, that uh, your influences will show in your work. And I can't get away from horror. I love it that much. So there, there will be horror elements. In fact, the very first one that I wrote uh, during the pandemic on my return, I guess I can say, which is up on the website, is called A Cold Night in Bryleshire. Uh, that has some very serious horror elements to it and i don't it wasn't a conscious effort to do that but it just showed up that's that's really cool um because i've I've seen that you know one of your other influences was uh george r R. martin the author of you know game of thrones so you begin the fantasy as well yes absolutely uh the fantasy element is probably my number one goal uh, or my number one focus, I should say. Fantasy, and uh, believe it or not, where that came from, even though George R. R. Martin is a huge, huge influence on me, a lot of where the fantasy elements come from is actually Ronnie James Dio. Oh. No shit. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, because I'm obviously a huge Dio fan, and when... You know, when I was a, a youngster and I'm watching the videos on MTV and listening to the listening to the records, the CDs, to me, Dio sounded like a D&D campaign in a heavy metal song. And that I really, totally get that. Yeah. And it just like totally hook, hook, line and sinker. I was in. And of course, before that, you know, things get me into fantasy. I can remember. You know, some of the first movies I ever saw were Excalibur and Crawl. And huge fantasy films from the 80s. And I love all that stuff. I love knights, wizards, dragons, you name it. And the whole, and then Game of Thrones, of course, which, funny story on that one. uh, I was kind of a late bloomer to the Game of Thrones TV show. Mm -hmm. And... By the time I started watching it, I'm watching the first season. My wife and I are watching it. And I look over at her and I'm and I said, you know, the, uh, this sounds so familiar. It's almost like I've seen this before. And she, you know, I couldn't place it. She kept saying, well, maybe you watched it somewhere before. No, I didn't. Well, long story short, I found out that I actually read the first Song of Ice and Fire book called A Game of Thrones in my sophomore year. <laughs> And I totally forgot about it. This was, you know, 1999. Wow. Nice. And I I had totally forgot about it because my English teacher at the time was really big on George R. R. Martin. He was he loved his style of writing and uh he actually had us read that in you know as one of our as part of the curriculum. And I totally forgot about it until the season was over. Uh and I'm, and it was, you know, the big execution scene. And I, I say, I'm like, oh, my God, I know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered uh, it. And 
So, yeah, I'm like, wow, I actually read this, you know, 20 something years ago. Oh, and that's it, awesome. And it stuck with you. So that's pretty cool. You know, it, you remember it that? did. It, it yeah. stuck so, so hard with me. And I mean, that's, I think that's the genius of George R. R. Martin is the way that, you know, he created how his world building and the characters that you just, I don't know if you can say relate with, but you connect with and, you know, you care about and, He's he's an amazing writer, not just the Song of Ice and Fire series, but pretty much everything of his that I've read has been that good. I'm not super familiar, but uh, I'm going to look more into it, though. Uh, I, I'm not a big reader, personally, mm-hmm. um, but I there like the fantasy stuff. I am definitely into that. I really like a lot of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's why I like a lot of black metal because like the whole fantasy aspect of it all. Yeah. That's absolutely. really cool though. And uh, I, I've never actually seen game of Thrones. Have you Scott or read yeah. the books oh, or anything? Oh, I, I don't read, but I, I like the series. Up to the last, <laughs> I like the, like the series up to the last season, but I have like a huge boner for like house of dragon right now. Like this show is, it's fucking amazing. Uh, the, writers, the writers they got for this show. And the storytelling is 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 perfection. Um, I mean, my wife what? and I, we, my wife and I watched uh, this past this past weeks, and uh, holy shit! What is yeah, it again? It's so it's called House of Dragons. So it's basically, I wanted to say a spinoff, but it's a whole other story of in the Game of Thrones realm about a, a, a particular family, right? Okay. Game of, and yeah. uh, it's basically like. Uh, I don't know how many years prior to Game of Thrones, but it's like it's it's pre one hundred eighty. One hundred okay, so one hundred okay, so one hundred years prior to like the Game of Thrones shit. But um, it's just it's really good. And and what I love about this this season and like the show, there are way more dragons. Yeah, oh, that's this cool. was at the height of the dragon's power at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Damn, it it's, sounds like I'm missing out. This sounds cool as shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, but it. it's, uh, if if you're not into family drama and stuff like that, it, it might you might not dig it because there's a whole hell of a lot of that, but it's done so well. Uh, uh, I could I could get around it if it's done yeah, well. There's a lot of incest. You just gotta like it just gotta be oh, oh, yeah. yeah, well yeah, I mean, it's there was a bloodline, so like they want to keep the bloodline pure. So I mean, it's the whole thing. Uh, I guess that makes sense. But it's 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 great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I fucking I fucking love that shit. It's a good one. It's it's really good. It came from the 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 book Fire and Blood, which is a, like a, a Targaryen family history book. And it was one section in that book that this whole show was based around. So it's really, really good. I can't recommend it enough. It, it, what is it on? Is it on like Netflix or something? No, it's it's HBO. HBO. Oh, I have that. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. Well, you should. It's you worth should. at least checking it out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. You should watch Game of Thrones too because that show is fucking awesome. I mean, it's it's just it's wild. Um. But, yeah, I've heard. I, a lot of people keep telling me to check it out. I just, I don't know. I, it's good. I, I, it's good. I can't it's seem good. to get interested. 
I kind of know where you're coming from that from on that, Nick, because uh, when a lot of people tell me, oh, you got to check something out, you got to check something out. It kind of makes me not want to. <laughs> yeah, that's I am the same oh. fucking way, the same way. Well, you guys can be hate me then. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you probably think I'm annoying. No, that's, not that's, at all. That, that's really <laughs> funny you say that though, because that's exactly how I am. Like if that's... if a, if a lot of people like something, I tend to not even give it a try. <laughs> I I understand because I'm very very similar like that. Yes. Ah, well, we have that in common. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, who who is uh who's your favorite author? I would like have your to all-time say all time favorite. My all time favorite. I'm probably gonna have to go with Stephen King, just because he was the guy that when I started reading, he was the one whose books I started reading first in full. So I'd have okay. to go with Stephen King. Well, that's a good pick. I fucking love Stephen King's work. Like I said, I don't read a lot, but <laughs> I've, I've watched uh, every Stephen King adaptation. So, and I, I love them all. So, I I can say this about his movies and stuff. Uh, a lot of times, and I hate to sound cliche, but a lot of times the the book is uh, ten times better than what was adapted on screen. Much like uh, the It movies, I can say, even though it's like a fifteen hundred page book, there's way more in it than there was in the movies and it explains a lot more so i mean i i love that book a lot more than the movies yeah i i love that movie so i'd be interested to like know more about like the story so maybe i should read that it's good and uh another of his that's that i don't think gets enough credit they made a movie of it a couple years ago but it was so condensed that uh it really failed to capture an audience was the dark tower and that whole series there's seven books total in that whole series and it is in my opinion it's one of my favorite stories of all time but it also suffers from one of stephen king's terrible things that i the one thing, one complaint I have about Stephen King, and he does this way too often, his endings are terrible. I will say yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I would story, have to agree. Yeah. The stories are amazing. The buildups are good. The characters are good. The monsters are great. But the endings and the delivery is just kind of lackluster, in my opinion. So what would, what would say is your favorite Stephen King book that you've, you've read uh, from his collection? Eyes of the Dragon, easily. I'm not familiar. It, it was a very, it was supposed to, I, I think, I guess it would be qualified as a novella because it was a little shorter than a full on novel, but it was, uh, it came out around, I want to say 87 or 88. And it was his first go around at doing a, a full on fantasy story. And I read this thing and completely fell in love with it. And it's still to this day, yeah, it's it's my favorite Stephen King book. Did you did you play like D and D when you like growing up as well uh, to be so much into the the fantasy aspect and the storytelling? I feel like D and D like goes hand in hand with that. Absolutely, and I I did play it, uh, not as often as I wanted to because it was kind of hard to get a bunch of people together to do that. Right, but I did play it, and I uh, definitely 
watch the D&D cartoon, and that was, you know, that was awesome, too. I honestly wish I could play D&D a little bit more. It's uh, It does. It has a great storyteller aspect to it. My wife and play. My wife and I played a few years ago um, with a group, and then we had our child, and then like they didn't understand. Like, oh, you have kids. This isn't gonna work. And like, so we played one full campaign, which which I absolutely like. I loved. I was like fresh into it. Uh, I started off as a dragonborn uh, warrior just because I thought, oh yeah, dragons are cool. I could be like powerful. But like when we, when we got to the second campaign, I really like did a 360 where I played like a druid dwarf just to try something okay. different. And then we had to stop because our daughter was getting older. We couldn't just like let her sleep and play D&D. It wasn't easy anymore. And our group right. was just was sick of us like bailing, even though we didn't have a choice. Uh, but I, I want to get back into it, too, because it was it was just like a great time to take a couple hours like on a Saturday and just bullshit and just and just like lose yourself you know just like forget about your troubles and just like focus on like this complete this 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 world burn that our, that our dm did was amazing yeah that's that's awesome and i totally concur with that i would love to get back into it and it is yeah it's a great great escape from everything and gives you a chance to let loose a little bit and you know be somebody else i kind of like that every once in a while yeah well, I got into it from a podcast called uh, The Adventure Zone, which is like it's three brothers and their dad that play D and D, like, on, and it's it's hilarious. And I was like, oh, this sounds like so much fun. And then my wife had a kid in high, friend in high school who didn't live too far. He was like, well, let's do a campaign. And then like that's where it started. And that's I'm so so sad it had to end. I can dig it. You can only do so much when you have kids. You know, that's you gotta, true. That's very true. When they're single and they don't have any obligations and you're not and you have, you know, not single, but like they don't have to worry about it. They can, they're always free and we're not. It just, it just kind of didn't work out anymore. But oh, we, you know, yeah, we got where they're coming from. I'm back. Sorry about that. That's all right. Okay. Happens every episode. Was there another, <laughs> was there another fire? No, no, no fire this time, <laughs> thankfully. Did, uh, did the storm run through just one last time and say goodbye? Yeah. No, I just fucking, I can't ever do this fucking podcast without like the dogs fucking getting into something and tearing something up. Literally, dog just ate his fucking like half of his bed. It's It was like everywhere. I had to pick it up. So <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> that's, that's the game of life. Yeah, exactly. I'll still take that over having kids, though. I'm sorry. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> hey, uh, do you do you have kids, Chris? Uh, yes, I do. I have two. Awesome. How old are they? <laughs> they are uh, 13 and 11. Nice. They're nice age, a uh, son and a daughter. Oh, that's they, cool. they, pretty, they pretty much watch themselves. So. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Scott, it's harder having a dog. I have a three-year-old who painted my nails on Sunday for me. She did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> that did look like a pretty good job from the yeah, pictures. Oh, yeah. My, my right hand was just like, just completely covered my left hand. I barely anything on it. She was focused on my right hand the whole time. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah I'll play along. I love it. 
Yeah, it was never, never a thing for me having kids. I mean, we tried, but it just, uh, it didn't work. So maybe it was for the best. I don't know. Having a little junior Nell running around would be pretty cool, though. Oh, my God. That'd be a fucking nightmare. Could you imagine? <laughs> um, you both hating everything together. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd be putting a uh, corpse paint on him and stuff. I hate this, Dad. Me too, son. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> or daughter. Or daughter. Either way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I used to think the same thing about trying to get, you know, get the little ones into the same stuff I'm into. And uh, they just, you know, they're their own person. And that's kind of hard to realize that the older they get, that, hey, they're not into the same stuff you are. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're not as cool as your old man. That's right. And then find out that uh, I'm not the cool one anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's It's the cycle of life. You got to remember, we, we rebelled against our parents, so. That's true, and God knows I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too, big time. I still do. Uh, <laughs> my, my, I got to say, uh, my, I had a picture from Mom's Basement Fest of me with the Jasons and everybody that I, you know, and I was grabbing Jason held by the balls, basically with, like, pretty close to his groin area. And all my parents were thinking about was like, I hate seeing that picture. I was like, that is like a highlight for me. Like that, you guys had to been there. That was for me. That was that 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 was like, it was awesome. Like I was honored to be that close to his genitals. <laughs> funny, uh, funny thing about that. Uh, the very first time I ever met those guys uh, in person at the show, I I'm taking a picture with B. And uh, 3D's walking around there, and I and he comes up and he kind of like cocks his head a little bit and looks real goofy. I said, "Well, get your ass up here too and get in the picture." <laughs> my wife, my wife, snapping the picture, and she goes, "Make it look sexy." So 3D being 3D makes it look sexy. He gets all over me, does a nice little pose, and they snap the picture. I loved it. Uh, so I put, of course, I put it up on Facebook, and it, my mom sees it. She says. Uh, why are you letting that one girl hang all over you like that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's funny. <laughs> and parents just don't understand. No, they don't get it. <laughs> they don't. That's the. Because um, you know, you know, one of the guys personally who I actually got to like have a nice conversation with. I don't want to. You know, KFAB made anything. Yeah, it was, yeah. We had a very nice conversation, and you, we talked about you quite a bit. And I told him how stoked I was that we had that we we're going to have you on, and you know, it was it was cool. And um, he was, I'm, he, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, he was he was really thrilled too. He was like, "Oh, dude, I can't wait to to hear it and all that." And who are we talking about here? I can't say. Oh, okay. But he he who who shall not be named. If you're listening, you know That's who a good you are. Song. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that was a Sam Haynes song. It sure was. There One of go. my favorites. Okay, all right, I was right. <laughs> I was uh, ju- I was just listening to them earlier. Cool. Yep. I, I personally. Dancing. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say I love Danzig, but uh, Sam Haynes probably the uh, the one part of his discography that I'm not too familiar with. Oh my God, you're missing out big time. I I wholeheartedly believe the statement that Sam Hain was his best work. Okay. I mean, it, it blows the misfits out of the water, and uh, his solo stuff, like it, it was cool, but. I don't know. Sam Hain just had this like really, really cool vibe, like this different type of like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the music just has this really, really eerie vibe to it. And I just fucking love that band. I can definitely hear that. I can hear that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause that sounds like at least the uh, initial album is the one that I know the most. And that one sounds to me like something that could have, I don't know, maybe been in a, you know, you, you walk into a, a forest and you come across a cult and they're performing a ritual and you can imagine Sam Hain playing or something. Like, Absolutely. You know, like Absolutely. And uh, if you get a chance Definitely look into November Coming Fire. That album is fucking amazing. That one's been recommended to me numerous times. And I really should get on it right now because I love Danzig. Well, yeah, I think you should. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> you should so yeah, I think we should stop recording right now and you should just go listen to it. And then we'll <laughs> then we'll we'll pick back up where we left off so we can talk about it more. Oh, man, that's good. <laughs> hey Chris, you should really check them out. I I will in this case I will. Oh, that, that was me. That was me just being a smartass. <laughs> you know what, Scott? You know what, Scott? <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, here's my here's your catchphrase. We gotta make that a shirt. You know I haven't said that in a long time. You just said. Oh wait, no, week. no. I just said, said it last, last week. You say it every week. It's the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, that's we, true. That, that's that's the one thing we have is you saying that. That this is, is one the most wonderful if, term of endearment I've ever heard. If there's one, if there's one constant on our show, it's you saying that phrase. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, starting to fuck with you in the beginning of these episodes, and like, because uh, you know we do the whole I'm Scott, I'm Nick thing. I was gonna come up with something funny and different like every week. I should have started that this week. You're, do, you're doing a great job. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna do it just to piss you. I was gonna do it just to piss you off, and then I decided, nah, I'll be a good boy tonight. Please, I'll, I'll do well, it next week. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, just not at all be a good option, dude. No, I'm gonna make you suffer. <laughs> you already, you already do. How can how be how can how get any worse? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Sorry, nobody, underst- nobody understands what being a it's partner with you is like. So, what's that? I said nobody understands what it's like being a partner with you. So, nobody wants to. The only one that was like, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, I saw that Chris on you know you that you uh, are a big fan of comic books. Um, are you? Yeah. Are you a fan of like what Marvel's doing and like with their movies, like the Marvel Universe, or are you like more more of like you enjoy the comics more than the movies? Um, I I like what they're doing with 
a lot of this stuff. I haven't really, I don't really have a complaint on too many things that they've done uh, since Marvel themselves, Marvel Studios has been doing it. Uh, I, I like a lot of the movies that they've put out. The TV shows have been fairly good. I'm excited for the uh, the Werewolf by Night one because I've I've loved their 70s horror comics. Those are amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I dig them. I dig the Marvel movies. Uh, I was at the you know I had to go day one to the theater when um, Infinity War and. Uh, what was uh, what was the second one? Endgame came out. Endgame, yeah. So I had to be there for those, and uh, went and saw Thor. You know, all all the Thor movies because Thor is one of my favorites. I have a very weird interest in uh, Norse mythology, so I I love the Thor character. <laughs> oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, I dig it. I'm I'm not one of those that because uh, I I know there's a lot of. Uh, I don't know if this is the right word for it, elitist uh, comic fans that they kind of shit on everything that's that Marvel Studios has done with the movies and that. And I'm not like that. I look at it as uh, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Uh, I've watched it. You know, they're they're definitely abridged versions of everything, but they've done a, a pretty cool job so far. And uh, some of the characterizations, like uh, I like the movie version of Steve Rogers is Captain America more than I do the comic book version of him, to be honest. Maybe that has something to do with the actor, but it's yeah. I kind of dig that more than I do the comic book. Captain America is my favorite superhero. I have a Captain America tattoo. Um, I, don't know, I just always loved it. Um, loved him. Uh, just like, you know, even though like, you know, he changed to like this big, strong guy, he never lost sight of who he was. And I always liked that. About right. him. It, was, it was always genuine. You know, he was never like an asshole. Yeah, and I always, I always like that. Have have always liked that about him as well. Uh, my favorite comic character hasn't even been in a movie. Well, he was in a shitty movie with Nicolas Cage a few years back, but uh, two of them actually. But uh, Ghost Rider is my absolute favorite, and he has not been in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie yet, and. I'm hoping for it, but I'm also not hoping for it really soon because the minute he shows up in the movies, that's going to spike his first appearance comic up more than it already is, and I'm trying to buy that right now. <laughs> oh, so you don't want any spoilers. I got you. Um, no, not spoilers. I just I don't want the value of the book going up to where I really can't afford it. Oh, it's at a, I see. It's at a yeah. point right now where I can afford it, but I don't want to. And if he gets into the movies and it spikes up that much more, I'm like, I'm just going to be like, nah, I don't even want it. Like, it's too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny it's how like, that works. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like uh, with uh, the X-Men, you know, I, I've I'm a kid from the 90s, so I, obviously I love the X-Men. And I wanted the, the first issue of the X-Men, so I go and check that out, and I'm finding out that this book goes for you know, between ten and twenty thousand dollars. I'm like, what? So I'm like, yeah, I'm never gonna buy that. No, no, that's insane. It is. It's crazy. And that's now the like the Ghost Rider first appearance, Marvel Spotlight number five. Uh, you can find it for about three, four hundred bucks, which I can afford that. But 
it's like, do I really want to? And then, like I said, when the movie comes out or if a movie comes out or if he pops up, it's going to spike that up like crazy. And if it goes into the thousand dollar range, I'm just not doing it. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's too much. It is. I mean, I spend pay it, though. as it is. Yeah. So I, I imagine you have a pretty huge collection. It's not as big as people might think because I, I lost a lot of comics and the moves over the years, but I've got about, I've got an app actually that keeps track of it. And according to that, I've got around 2,500 right now. Damn. Um, that's pretty that's a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like 50 is not that many, but like 2,500, that's pretty big. Yeah, I know. I expected you to say like 50, 60. Yeah, yeah like 100. But like, uh, uh, I just have the small, just the medium amount of 2,500 comic books. Okay. There's way okay. bigger collections in mine. Well, I understand. Oh, sure. but, but you're the first person to ever say, I have 2,500 comic books. <laughs> like I've never met anybody that says I own that many. So like, yeah, you probably know people that have like probably double that. To me, that mm-hmm. is a to me that that's a pretty solid collection in my book. Okay, well, I got a question now. So sure. what's 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 the most valuable one you have? Uh, let me think oh, here. He can't say that on air. Well, well I can. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't want people trying in your house and take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's not giving valid? his address. No, no. Uh, let me. That's yeah. That's gonna be in the, in the description. <laughs> I'm kind. Of, you know what? I can't really think. If I was gonna just offhand, I have a Venom number three, which was the first appearance of Null, the symbiote god, uh, that one is going for roughly around 600 bucks right now. And I, wow. I bought that off the shelf for $399. Damn. So That's that pretty might, awesome. That might be the one. Yeah, it's, lot, crazy. it's crazy what people will pay for these. It is. And people go, I mean, they go all out for some of these comic books i've got you know i go to conventions and uh, flea markets and stuff like that and just the prices on some of these are they're they're way up there okay well would you uh be willing to share how much you've spent on one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm very intrigued i'm very intrigued No, that I had no. I have no problem. Uh, the most I've ever spent on a comic book was fifty bucks. Oh, that's, that's not the, bad. No, that's not I, bad. I, I, kind of, I kind of pride myself on that because I'm like, okay, I haven't spent that much on them. There's still yeah, fifty no, bucks for a comic book is a lot. It's a lot, but it's nothing compared to what some people pay. So, right? Yeah. Your cat like wants to be on people, the podcast again. <laughs> uh, a lot of people they like to you know they grade their comic books uh, i don't i don't do that i i leave mine in a bag and board just in case i want to read it maybe or whatever sure that's cool i uh i never really got into comic books collect well collecting i was i, I liked them i just never collected them right I, I've never been good at collecting anything, though. Like, growing up, like, I'd find an interest in a hobby, and 
I would start to collect something and then I would just kind of lose shit or get stolen from a friend or something. And right. I don't know, never, never been a, a big hobby, a hobby of mine collecting. So, but that's really cool. That's why I find it so interesting when people collect stuff. I like learning yeah. about it. It's uh, I'm, I'm bad at it. I collect way too much crap. <laughs> I, I, I collect a lot of action figures too, and I've had to calm down on that because I'm running out of space. Yeah. Well, Scott, I'm you getting, collect action figures too, don't you? I'm, I'm getting back into it, but like not like sets, nope. just like just like shit that I like. Um, my nope, most recent, once you fall down that hole, you won't go back. Well, my 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 <laughs> my, my prized possession that I got. Uh, was I got a, a Joe Queer throbble head uh, that uh, I got for Christmas that the person that got for me spent way too much money on. But, um, <laughs> like, that spiked me to, like, get, like, a lot more cool, like, toys. Um, and also, like, the toys I buy anymore, unless, like, like they're expensive, I, I just, like, get them for my kid to play with. So, like, um, there's this play, there's this little store by us. It's called the, it's called the Man Cave, but it's really not. It's just a bunch of like open, just open toys, unboxed toys from like the '80s and '90s of like superheroes. And my, my my proudest moment as a dad is I went there with her, and she found like this buck ninety nine, like maybe twelve inch Spider Man figure, and says, "I want that." And I was like, "Hell yeah!" Uh, <laughs> she has she hasn't touched it since I got it for her, but uh. I get to play that every once in a while. There you go. Yeah, nice. I mean, my, my, my collecting is more like just like records, but it's not even that. It's just records that I want. I don't, I don't really like, I don't try to complete things. I just want what I, what I like. That's where yeah. I'm at with records too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not, you're not Jason Bay good. N- n- nobody. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. And like, I'm part of that rare punk group and the, the, the dude, like, there's some gold mine records that people are showing their collections of. It's the same. Now, oh, yeah. re- uh, I got a record story here of one that was in my possession at one point, and I so foolishly uh, traded away, and I could kick myself in the ass every day for doing it. At one point, I want to say this: I was maybe 14, and there was uh, records by this point were a thing of the past. They weren't even being pressed nothing so there was a little uh used record shop um not too far from where i lived i lived on the north side of chicago at this point and i go in there and i paid like i think five dollars for this record just because i one i love the band i love the singer and i love the imagery the misfits halloween ep or halloween single i should say from way you know 1980 the 45 rpm bought it nice. had it loved this thing this was like my most cherished possession, even though I didn't have a player to play it on. And I foolishly, and I can't even remember what the hell I traded this thing for, but I traded it to a friend for something stupid and gone. Oh, man, that's that's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And for the, long, for the longest time, that was the only record I owned, too. And, oh, wow. You know, this friend of mine was, oh, I, I want it, I want it, I'll trade you. Whatever he traded me for for it is long gone. I don't even remember what it was. And I can kick myself in the ass every day for that. Damn. Damn. 
Yeah, I don't blame you. So, do you yeah. collect records now, or is it not like a? Okay, it's it's not a. Uh, you know, like Scott said, it's not a completionist thing or nothing. I just pretty much just buy what I want. The only thing that I'm kind of, and I won't even say completionist is, uh, but I try to get everything that they're on is both the Jasons and the Black Russians. I try to get everything that they're on on vinyl. Oh, okay. Yep, two great bands. Oh, for sure. I was about to say that, yeah. And uh, so some good friends of mine in uh, both bands, actually. That's awesome. Yeah, we uh, we eventually are going to have a special Russian on the show in the future. We have discussed Ooh. this many times, so I'm very I excited was, for that to finally happen. This is news to me. I was not in this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are talking to me. I told you this. I do not remember that. Yeah, I've been discuss- We've been discussing it off and on, and uh, okay. it's it's going to happen. We just we have to work it out. You know, awesome. it's, it's a difficult situation. So uh, yeah, I look forward <laughs> now to I it. know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Let me yeah, know when so. that happens. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope so. <laughs> well, I don't want to go too late to the episode because uh, I, I kind of pressured Chris before we recorded to um, share one of his novels with us uh, because I think It'd be great for the listeners and our and our friends and his friends to actually hear his writing. Um, so, Chris, if you're okay with it, would you would you like to do that? Yes, uh, absolutely, I will. This may take a little bit, but yeah, I'll read it. It's it's fine. It's fine. You don't you don't have to rush. Um, I'm go I'm going to go mute, and then you can just talk about like uh, the title and go into it. And uh, you can the floor is yours, sir. Okay. All right. So this story um, is called uh, The Cauldron of the Crones. And before I get started, I will say that uh, the story pretty much just came to me as uh, a one-off thing. And I created this character, the main character, the wizard. I based him pretty much off of Clint Eastwood from the uh, Man With No Name Westerns. So that gives you a little idea. There you go. Uh, I'll go ahead and get started here. The cold wind blew by by the wizard's face. The comfort that the cool air brought his grizzled face was refreshing. He travels alone, stopping from time to time in every town he passes through to restock on supplies or look for odd jobs here and there. He's been practicing and studying magic for decades now, immensely knowledgeable, He's a formidable magic user, capable of spells in multiple schools, with his destruction magic being fiercely dangerous. The wizard stops and grasps his long, dirty white beard, thinking to himself, how long has it been since my last hot meal? He has been eating rations of bread for a week now. That is how long it has been since he was in a town. Nowadays, he rarely learns the names of these towns that dot the countryside he visits so many. He thinks aloud, Yes, a hot meal sounds wonderful now. The thought of warm food in his belly on these cool cool nights just fills him with excitement. The wizard has been walking through Winifred Forest, a dense wooded area on the northern edge of the kingdom, for that week since he has last ate a hot meal in a town whose name that has been lost to time. Winifred Forest is is massive, 
and once beyond its boundaries to the north lies a town. That is where he will stop and purchase sustenance and a bed at the end. The wizard raises his staff. The crystal globe fastened to its top begins to emit a bluish hue of the glow. The wizard uses his knowledge of magic to have the staff tell him how much longer before the edge of the forest. It is a mere hour of a walk. Relieved the distance is not that great, he lowers the staff, the glow dissipating. He lifts his dark blue hat to wipe his brow, puts his hat back on, takes a deep breath, and resumes his walk through Winifred Forest. The town's edge becomes became visible, and the wizard began to fill with excitement. Just the thought of a warm just the thought of warm food and cold ale. No more bread and spring water, at least until the return to the trails. He begins the walk into town. As he reaches the outskirts, he sees the sign. Fritania, province of Wolfden, kingdom of Kolkirk. With a, with a small smile, he enters in search of the inn. The wizard makes his way up the road, with town folk giving him a long stare. It has been ages since they have seen a wizard come through town. Fritania is far away from the Academy of Magic to the south, and rarely does a wizard venture out this way. However, our wizard is not on official business. He travels alone, practicing his magic for those that need it and could afford him. He has become disillusioned with the politics at the academy and the constant meddling of the royal family. The wizard left and headed north after decades of living at the academy, not knowing what he would find. It mattered not to him. Living by his own rules and helping those he deemed worthy not to the academy is all that matters to him now. At last, he spots the inn. He walks up to the small staircase just off the main road, leading to the entrance. A sign on the side of the entrance reads, Welcome, weary travelers, to the gifted obsidian. Enter, feast, and join us for the night. The wizard enters through a doorway, a relieved smile on his face. The crowd was somewhat big, a good mix of local shopkeepers, farmers, and some guards of the local garrison of the army. The crowd was boisterous. It was late in the evening. The sun was but mere minutes from setting. The guards off their shift relaxing, shopkeepers fresh from closing for the night, and farmers done with chores for the day. The wizard calmly walks in and removes his hat, placing it on a coat rack next to a mannequin wearing brown leather armor emblazoned with what the wizard assumed is the local Jarl's sigil. He began walking to the back of the gifted obsidian where the bar is located. The innkeeper behind the bar was an older man, very worn and tired looking, but also warm and inviting. The wizard walking through the crowd catches the eyes of several townsfolk and the boisterous crowd noise begins to soften as the people notice the wizard is among them, a rare sight in Fritania. The stairs never bothered the wizard. He was used to it and understood that wizards are not a common sight here this far north. He smiled at everyone who caught his gaze, hoping that reassured the people that nothing strange was going on. The townsfolk, still curious of the wizard, began to go back to their feasting once he smiled. The wizard arrives at the bar and speaks to the old innkeeper. I would like a meal and a bed, please, if you have the space, the wizard said. We've got roast pork, potatoes, and beans. That sound good, the innkeeper asked. Sounds delicious, much better than the bread I've been eating this past week. Aye, we veil as well, or I can fetch you some wine, be a bit more if so, the innkeeper said. No, sir, ale is great. How much for the meal and a bed? Altogether, twenty gold. You're in luck, I have run one room left upstairs. 
Much obliged, sir. Might I inquire as to work that might have use of a magic user, the wizard asked. I can't say if a magic user is needed, but if ye come from the academy, the Jarl may have use for your detective skills, the innkeeper said. I left the academy, but was once a member. Is there something that requires a detective, the wizard asked. Children gone missing without a trace. Several families have reported to the Jarl and the garrison commander, but neither can make heads or tails of it. That's about all of us, any of us know. Officially, we townsfolk are not to know the inner workings. It's just idle gossip. But we find it strange that no one can solve these missing cases, the innkeeper said. I could be of some help for the right price, of course. How do I gain an audience with the Jarl, the wizard asked. Just so happens the Jarl is my brother. I will tell you what. Eat, rest, use the bath, and come morning, I will take you to him. I just please ask. Nay, I beg you. Help these families. I grow tired of seeing the sorrow in these parents' eyes, the innkeeper said. No need to beg. I believe I can be of assistance. Thank you for your hospitality, sir, the wizard said. The wizard ate his meal. The roast pork was delicious and salted to perfection. The potatoes buttery and moist, loaded with savory spices, and the beans soupy and salty, a great mix on his taste buds. The ale was cold and just barely bitter. It was a wheat ale brewed with a heap of snowberries native to the province of Wolfton to give it a sweetness. The wizard sat back in his chair. His staff lay across his lap at the table beside the bar, thinking to himself. He wondered why the garrison or the court of the Jarl are having a hard time with these missing children cases. Although the wizards of the academy are trained in this kind of detective work, it was almost never needed because the local garrisons mostly could solve these on their own. He would rest on this for the night, for if he is truly needed, the Jarl will explain everything come morning. The wizard returned his plate to the innkeeper, made his way to his room to bathe and sleep for the night. He would need his mind sharp in order to be of assistance. The wizard awoke feeling refreshed. His beard and long hair, while clean, still had a grayish hue to it. His robes and hat were clean as well. He had washed them the night before after bathing. He felt amazing for the first time in at least a week since his last day at an end. The wizard dressed and proceeded to make his way down the stairs. The common area of the inn was emptied and quiet, a stark contrast to the previous night. The innkeeper was sweeping the floor and noticed the wizard coming down the staircase. Good morning. I take it your stay was pleasant, the innkeeper asked. Yes, quite pleasant. I have never felt better and full as well from dinner last night, the wizard said. That warms my heart. It is so good to know my customers are finally happy, the innkeeper said finally happy has there been issues before with customers the wizard asked oh uh, no i just meant happy in general that's all uh, are you ready to see the jarl i can take you to him the innkeeper asked nervously yes i should be on my way if i'm to assist in this investigation the wizard said cautiously then yes please come with me the innkeeper said the wizard and the innkeeper left the gifted obsidian and made their way up the main road leading towards the town keep. While on the walk, the wizard was watching his surroundings, taking careful notice to see if anything was rather suspicious. Nothing was out of the ordinary. People frolicking about in the early morning, doing their chores. People sweeping their porches, children playing, farmers tending to their livestock. 
and every time they would walk by, the innkeeper was greeted with a very enthusiastic hello by the, all the townsfolk. In all, it was a rather common town, nothing, had, nothing he had not seen in his travels. But something was off. He was a very seasoned magic user, after all, and his intuition was telling him something was not right. But even he, with his great magical abilities, could not pinpoint what it was. He kept thinking of the missing children. Most times, a missing child was bandits looking for ransom, or a father running off with a child without telling the mother. These were surely reasons that wizards were never used for this kind of case. The local courts and garrisons must, most of the time, solve these cases before a wizard could even be contacted. But this felt different. The wizard and the innkeeper were now at the town keep. The innkeeper led the wizard through the door and into the main hall of the keep. The Jarls sit upon a simple wooden throne with only a scarlet blanket covering the chair. The Jarl looked upon the wizard and the innkeeper with cautious surprise. Even the two guards on each side of him glanced with surprise. There was one more guard at the feet of the riser holding the, holding the Jarl's throne. Though he was clearly a higher-ranking soldier, his leather armor was adorned in fur and was more ornate than the two guards at the Jarl's side. This guard showed a little more concern on his face, which caught the wizard's attention. The Jarl quickly arose to his feet as the wizard and the innkeeper reached the riser. What brings you here, brother? The Jarl asked, looking suspiciously at the innkeeper. The wizard, he stayed at my inn last night. I believe he may be of use to find the children, Simon, the innkeeper said. I will decide who helps with this investigation, Roderick, not you. The Jarl exclaimed. Careful, Simon, I am only trying to help. You shouldn't yell at me like that, brother, the innkeeper said. The wizard noticed that the innkeeper's tone shifted with that statement. No longer was he calm, bubbly, and happy. He was stern, cold, and his demeanor was rather callous. There was clearly some sibling rivalry here, the wizard thought to himself. The Jarl was a younger man, in his mid-thirties, while the innkeeper was older, maybe in his fifties. Go back to your precious inn, Roderick. I will have a chat with this wizard. Do not come back here unless I call for you, the Jarl said. The innkeeper looked to the wizard, and he shifted back to his bubbly personality from before, a smile adorning his face. Pay no mind to that little spat. Talk to Simon, and I will see you should you need another meal. Safe travels, sir. The innkeeper bid his farewell to the wizard. With that, the innkeeper bowed and let himself out of the keep, leaving the wizard alone in the presence of the Jarl in his court. I apologize for that wizard, but you see my brother has a way about him that just angers me, the Jarl explained. I can understand. Familial relationships almost always have rivalries, the wizard said. So let us start over. On behalf of the people of Fritania, I welcome you to our town. I am Jarl Simon Derrick, and this gentleman standing next to you in uniform is the captain of the garrison, Balian Josset. Captain Josset to you, wizard, Balian said. Pleasure to make your acquaintance. May I be of assistance, Jarl? The wizard asked. Ah, straight to the point. I like that. Do you really think a wizard is necessary, my lord? Balian asked the Jarl. Perhaps. We are running out of leads. He may be our only hope. There is a matter of payment. While I can help you, I do not work for free, the wizard said. Done. 
Captain Jossett, give our wizard here 200 gold now, and after the cases are solved, he gets another 200, Simon said. I accept. Now, please inform me. What are we dealing with? The wizard said. The Jarl Simon Derek sat back in his throne and began to explain to the wizard what had been happening in Fritania. For years, Fritania had little turmoil, maybe an occasional outlaw gang causing trouble from time to time, or an escaped prisoner from the capital city trying to make their way undetected. Nothing that Captain Josset and the garrison could not handle. But never anything as nefarious as this. Children, some as young as four years old, missing, just vanished, but all with a common thread. They were all outside of their house playing at dusk before someone noticed a missing. At first, it was thought to be just a child running away, but all were from loving homes. Then thinking it was just one isolated incident, it happened again the next night. A child, just gone, vanished. Before long, a week had passed and six children in total had gone missing. The Jarl and the garrison were unable to gather clues or to find the missing children. The only clue that was found was footprints near where the children were last seen, then drag marks leading to the west, as if the children were being dragged and were being dragged and their feet leaving a trail in the, in the dirt. To the west was Winifred Forest, as Fritania was surrounded by the forest on all sides except to the north, where it was open fields leading to the very large Lake Sorsha, the fresh water supply for Fritania. It was here that the Jarl began to explain why they never found the children in their investigations. Lake Sorsha would be the, be the end north. We've searched the banks all around and nothing, not so much as a breadcrumb, the Jarl said. And to the west, in the forest, the wizard asked. We dare not venture into the woods in that direction, Captain Josset interjected. Jarl Simon Derek glanced at, glanced at Captain Josset with a stern gaze, as if to say to him not to speak further. The veteran captain, unfazed, turned his attention to the Jarl as the wizard watched, noting the body language and anxiousness of both men. If he is to assist, he must know everything about our community, including the places we dare not venture, Captain Josset said. We agreed never to mention them. That was part of the deal. If we send him to, if we send him to them, we risk breaking the truce we have enjoyed for years now, Jarl Simon said. We need to face the facts that they may be responsible for these vanishings, and him being a powerful magic user, he has nothing to fear from them. As garrison commander, I am taking an executive action. These families rely on us, and we have produced nothing, Captain Josset said. The Jarl, facing the fact that Captain Josset was right, lowered his head and reluctantly began to tell the wizard what lied to the west in Winifred Forest. Well, Captain Josset was correct. The wizard has no ties to Fritania and had nothing to fear being a magic user himself, and a powerful one at that. To the west, in Winifred Forest, lies Serpent's Grotto, a place of great dark magic and home to the crones. Crones? That's just a title like wizard or cleric. I've dealt with crones before, they just delve more into dark magic than witches. If this is all you fear, I can gladly speak on your behalf. I... Do not fear dark magic, as some do, the wizard said. These crones are particularly nasty, wizard. They're old, ancient even, ugly and twisted by the dark magic. They keep their faces covered as the gaze upon them would cause pure shock and freeze you in place while they devour you, Captain Josset explained. 
While old and young, ugly, yes, prolonged use of dark magic can have that effect. However, I have found that most crones, when keeping to themselves, rarely harm anyone. And the legend of gazing on their face may just be that, a legend for a hex that for a hex that powerful requires a high price, the wizard said. I am glad you're not frightened, wizard, because we will not dare take the chance to go directly to them, the Jarl said. Years ago, the crones terrorized our farmers, destroying crops and stealing livestock. They attacked many citizens and even cursed several of them. A party was gathered and they ventured into Serpent's Grotto. They bargained with the crones and a truce was made. We would leave them alone in their home and they would not bother our town. It has been peaceful ever since, until now, Captain Josset explained. The wizard noted to himself that this story must at least be a generation old by now, as the details are not quite fleshed out. Either way, he would help as he has as he was been being graciously compensated. If you think these crones are a part of the vanishings, I will speak with them. Perhaps I can even bargain for their cooperation, the wizard said. I hope you are right, and I wish you well, wizard. Should you need anything, just ask. We beg for your help. These families have suffered enough, the Jarl said. Best of luck to you, wizard. The garrison has your back, and if you need troops to accompany you, I can send for them, Captain Joss said. That won't be necessary, Captain. If I am alone, I will have greater success. Now, I must be on my way, the wizard said. The wizard raised his staff in the traditional academy salute and began to exit the keep to begin his newest quest. The wizard would venture to Serpent's Grotto and speak with the crones, and would work from there. The answers he knew had to be out there somewhere, and he would not rest until he found them. Though he would never admit it, he longed for the children's safety and the return to their families. This case had touched him in the heart where he thought he had no feelings. Just the thought of the fear in those children sent a, sent a rush of emotion in him. He had to find them. If not for the parents, for himself, he would not rest until they were found. Upon exiting the keep, the wizard began his walk to the western edge of Winifred Forest. With every step, he would glance at the people, their homes, the shops, and farms. It was a normal town, for lack of a better word. The wizard's staff, though every time it touched the ground, he could feel vibrations. Something was different. His magical abilities allowed him to feel the vibrations in his staff. Every place had vibrations, and if you were magical, you could sense them. Most vibrations were similar, but the ones in the ground of Fertania were different. They had magical properties. Though he could not pinpoint what it was, there was something magical in Fertania. A curse, maybe. A spell. Maybe a hex. Something was wrong. The wizard reached the edge of town, looking upon the entrance to the forest. The two trees that grew next to each other with their top branches connecting in, in a simulated arched doorway as if beckoning travels to venture in. The wizard cast a protection spell on himself, waving his hands in the correct motion, according to the old scrolls. A light blue glow emanating from his fingertips, he gripped his staff tightly and entered the forest. Though it was midday when he left, the forest was so dense it darkened the sky to almost black. The further he walked from the arched trees to the entrance, the harder it was for him to see. The wizard stopped, remembering his spells. He motioned his free hand in the way of the light spell. He raised his staff and the crystal affixed to the top shone bright with a white light. The path was clear again, and he returned to the trail. 
All along the way, the wizard felt a presence, as if he were being followed, careful not to give notice that he sensed the presence. The wizard stopped to adjust his belt and pouch. He slammed his staff into the soft soil so it would stand on its own and begin to readjust his belt. After readjusting, he placed his free hand in the pouch connected to this belt and began searching inside. At this point, he heard growling and rushing footsteps coming towards him. From out of the darkness, a hideous creature leaped toward the wizard from behind. The wizard turned around just before the creature reached his backside, removed his hand from the pouch where he had been motioning his fingers in secret. The motion was for a firebolt spell. His hand glowed orange like a burning ember, and a firebolt flew from his hand, connecting with the creature. The creature shrieked in agony, falling to the ground and melting away. Once the firebolt dissipated, all that lay there, where the creature had once been, was a pile of black ash. The creature, which the wizard detected with his staff, was a familiar, a creature created by a magic user for protection, usually from a deceased animal's carcass. He knew he must be close to Serpent's Grotto. The wizard wondered to himself why the area the crones decided to call home was named Serpent's Grotto, but that answer became clear. He came upon what looked like the head of a snake, mouth open, ready to strike, but it was tree branches that had grown into that shape. The wizard walked through the mouth and saw bright light. The trees above the grotto were open enough for sunlight to come through and feed the plants. There was a flowing pond in the grotto, and flowers, plants, and even a small garden. It was serene, beautiful, and peaceful. It was very hard to think that someone evil lived here. The wizard knew that what people don't understand, they accuse of being evil, and the persons living here may not be evil after all. The wizard noticed the cottage and heard rustling about inside. The front door opened and out walked two female figures in long black hooded robes with masks covering their faces. The masks were of generic, expressionless female faces and were made of steel. Though he sensed nothing to fear, he was still cautious. He placed his staff on the ground and raised his hands above his head, showing he meant no harm. The first crone, the figure in front, glanced at the wizard, studying his movements. She stepped forward and motioned the crone behind her to stay where she was. She came with, within just a few feet of the wizard and began to speak. Why are you here, wizard? Do you wish to harm us? The crone asked. I mean you no harm. I just come for help. Maybe some information if you would be so willing to share, the wizard said. <laughs> You're like all the rest. You want us dead, don't you, the crone asked. No, I swear. There are children missing from Fritania, and I was just curious. The wizard was interrupted before he could finish. You think we took those children? The crone asked angrily. No, not at all. We are all children of magic, and I thought we could combine our efforts and find these children. That is why I wanted this audience with you, the wizard explained. The wizard could see the crone's eye through her mask, and she clearly was not trusting what he was saying. The motions of her eyes gave it away. You truly want our help and to find these children? Prove it, the crone said. The wizard motioned to his pouch affixed to his belt as if to ask if it were all right to reach for it. The crone nodded, granting him permission. The wizard reached into his pouch and pulled out a ruby with a protection rune carved into it. The wizard offered it to the crone as she looked at it confused. 
Why would you give this to me? The crone asked. The ruby is synonymous with a blood covenant, a promise. The rune carved into it is a protection rune, as I am sure you know. I have enchanted the rune. It will protect you. It is my gift to you and my proof I mean well. The crone was shocked. This indeed meant the wizard was truthful and honorable. She even felt a rush of emotion for the first time in a long time. She felt this could be the start of a friendship. You are honorable, wizard. Anyone that would enchant a room for us is welcome in our home. Please come in. Allow us to serve you some refreshments, the crone said. The crone motioned to the wizard to retrieve his staff from the ground and follow her. The second crone by the door to the house walked inside. The wizard was not sure why the people of Fritania thought these two were evil. They just seemed protective of their home, which is understandable. The wizard followed the first crone into the house. She reached her hand out for his hat and staff. Feeling no ill will toward him, the wizard handed the crone his staff and hat. The crone hung his hat on a coat rack beside the door and placed his staff on a weapons rack empty weapons rack directly beside the coat rack. The crones both removed their robes and masks and the wizard was shocked. What stood before him were not two ugly monstrous women whose years of dark magic had taken their beauty, but two amazingly beautiful women. Not young, but not old either. The first crone had long dark brown chestnut hair. And the second crone long bright red hair. Both were just absolutely stunning. They could not be used as a dark magic, or if they used it, they must not use it often. Dark magic use takes a major toll on the body, and prolonged use can make you grotesque. However, minor usage will not have such a taxing effect on the user. The wizard concluded that they must just be witches, not crones. The first crone motioned the wizard to sit at the kitchen table. She sat with him as the second crone also came to the table with three tankards and a pitcher of ale. The second crone poured the wizard some ale from the pitcher and slid the tankard to him. The wizard noticed the second crone had a slight grin as she slid him the tankard of ale. So, children are missing, you say, the first crone asked. Yes, the Jarl asked if I could help investigate. The court and the garrison are both having difficulty finding any of the children. I thought that being magic kin, we could help one another, the wizard said. The thing is, wizard, the Fritanians have a problem with us. Despite us living alone and keeping to our agreement, we constantly get unwanted visitors. Some want to see the horrible crones. Others come asking us to curse another family or put a spell on the crops to grow. So forgive me when I say I care not for missing Fritanian children, the first crone said sarcastically. Drink your ale, wizard. It is delicious, a home brew I personally made the second crone said with emphasis on personally. The wizard noticed the emphasis and curiously glanced at the second crone. She made no notice of his gaze. The wizard also noticed neither crone had drunk from their tankard yet. Please, ma'am, you drink first, the wizard said, directing his glance at the second crone. The second crone slowly raised her tankard to her lips and took a small swig. Something didn't set right with the wizard a feeling he was getting as if his magical instinct was warning him and its vibrations were coming from his tankard. Trying to pay no mind, the wizard tried to return to the subject at hand. Is there something I could do to earn your favor? To maybe 
help me in finding these children. Perhaps an herb you need, or a gemstone, perhaps, the wizard asked. You don't listen very well, do you? The first crone asked rhetorically. The first crone began to look agitated and threw her tankard across the room. The wizard now knowing what his magical instincts were telling him. His tankard avail was poison, a weak magic poison. That would explain the second crone's sinister behavior towards his drinking. Had he drank that ale, he would have been poisoned and unable to defend himself with magic. The first crone motioned her hands in a spell and the wizard glowed a crimson red and was raised off the ground. Despite not drinking the poison, the crone was powerful and he may be in for a fight. We had nothing to do with those children missing and we do not care either. We don't wish to help you. There is nothing you can offer us, the first crone angrily exclaimed. She raised the wizard higher and made a quick sideways motion with her hand. The cr crimson glow hurled the wizard against the wall of the house. He hit hard and fell, dizzy not only from the spell, but the hard hit he took as well. He noticed the second crone's hands glowing the same crimson red. The glow formed an energy ball and she threw it at the wizard. Quickly thinking, he motioned his hands in an absorption spell and absorbed the crimson energy ball. It caused him great pain. It was dark magic. And if he did not get rid of it soon, it could take some of his life force. Thinking quickly, the wizard motioned his hands in a rebound spell and launched the absorbed dark magic at the second crone. The ball of dark magic energy hit her with twice the force it had hit the wizard with. And she fell to the ground, letting out a shriek as she fell. No, the first crone screamed as she ran towards the second crone, picking her up and cradling her in her arms as she began to motion her hands in a healing spell. The wizard realizing he too had a trick up his sleeve, the ruby with the protection rune on it. Yes, it was a protection rune, but not protection for the crones. It was protection for him. The wizard suspected something like this might happen, so he prepared the ruby with a hidden rune so hidden that the croon would only see the common protection room. The wizard's hand glowed in ice blue, and he motioned him to activate the room. The room began to glow in the first crone's pocket. She noticed and tried to grab the ruby, but when her hand touched it, she let out an awful scream. Pain from the light magic of the wizard coursed through her. The room now activated the blue glow. The blue glow surrounded both crones in a bubble of energy both powerless to fight or use their magic, even for healing. This rune, the wizard learned from the Archmage of the Academy, who was ancient, several hundred years old, and a strong magic user. Not only did it render the crones powerless, it trapped them and began to waste away their beautiful visages. Their beauty was revealed to be a spell. The real appearances were now visible. They were grotesque, covered in scabs, warts, scars, and lesions both with long, stringy, dead gray hair. They easily could be confused for a necromancer's conjured familiar. This is the price they paid for using dark magic. They must have been using it for decades based on how grotesque their appearances now are. With no fear of the crones, the wizard stood stoic and confident and kept a strong gaze affixed to them both. Now that we have dispensed with the pleasantries, let's talk, the wizard said sternly. The sheer hubris of you, the first crone angrily snapped. Not hubris. I've just dealt with creatures like yourself many times. Too foolish to check for hidden runes. Your magic blinds you to your weakness, your overconfidence, the wizard snapped back. I can leave you in this spell. I have the ability, or you can help me. The choice is yours. 
but I see a friend there won't last very long, the wizard said. Fine, the crone said angrily. We were visited by someone from Britannia. No, I do not know who he was. He was wearing a mask and a hooded cape, but he was very interested in borrowing our cauldron, the first crone said. Your cauldron, for what purpose? When given a sacrifice, a crone's cauldron will grant the caster anything they wish, the first crow explained. What kind of sacrifice, the wizard asked, almost sure he knew the answer. The bigger and more valuable the sacrifice, the better the spell works. It can be an animal, an adult person, or the most valuable of sacrifices. A child, the first crone said. Did you give it to him? The wizard asked, very stern and angered. We lost our cat. Turns out this man kidnapped her. He threatened to kill our cat in front of us if we didn't give him the cauldron. I couldn't bear to watch our mittens be murdered, so yes, we traded our cauldron for it. What can you tell me of this man? Anything identifiable, a clue, anything, the wizard asked angrily. He wore brown leather armor of the garrison, and it was emblazoned with the sigil of the Jarl. The man also walked with a noted limp, the crone said. Why attack me, the wizard asked. To be honest, we were bored. We thought you might make a delicious meal. Wizards have a great flavor after all, the crone cackled maniacally. You two have caused enough pain. Raising his hands, he, his staff flew from the weapons rack to his left open palm. The crystal on top of the staff glowed a dark midnight blue, brighter than the crones had ever seen. Bolts of energy emitted from the crystal, penetrating the light blue bubble housing the crones. The bolts striking both of them, the crones let out an awful howling shriek. It was deafening. The wizard did not care. All he could think of was those poor children. He knew in his heart that they were targeted by this mystery man to be used in the cauldron. He filled with rage, and his anger poured more heavily into the energy bolts. The crones screaming louder the more powerful the bolts got. The wizard was now on the verge of crossing the threshold in the dark magic. With a deep breath, the wizard poured all of his anger into one final burst of energy. The burst set off like a bomb and exploded. The bubble in the magic energy dissipated. The crones were gone. All that remained was two pile of red ashes. The wizard ended the crones for allowing the cauldron to be used by someone who meant harm. The wizard gathered his composure. He felt he did the right thing, but was still shaken for having to take two lives. These crones were nefarious and preyed upon the people of Fritania, he convinced himself. Whether he was right was a point of view, but there was no turning back now. His thoughts returned to the children, hoping beyond all hope that they were still alive somehow and just imprisoned. He had a lead now, a man in the armor of the Jarl with a limp. He first thought was Captain Jossie, but the captain had no limp. Nevertheless, he gathered himself, reached for his hat, put it on, and began to leave Serpent's Grotto. His destination was back to the town of Fritania. For now, he was closer to solving this mystery, and someone is going to pay for kidnapping these children. The journey back to Fritania took but two hours. What should have only taken one hour, but the wizard would stop every once in a while and sit on a rock, log, or tree stump. He thought of those six children missing and tried to reach out with magic to feel the presence. 
Sadly, without a personal item belonging to one of them, he would not be able to reach them. He was not quite that powerful at this point in his life. Only an archmage, the highest ranking of all wizards, might be powerful enough. The wizard thought he could go to the academy and ask the archmage. But with him not in good standing, and the fact that it was a long journey to Fertania, even in a carriage, it was not feasible. He was too close now, and with a strong lead, it was just a matter of time before he found the culprit, and possibly have a chance to save some, if not all six of the children. He had to go straight to the Jarl. Going to anyone else might alert the abductor. More thoughts played in his mind, wondering, what would this man be using the cauldron for that would require such a big sacrifice? More questions grew the further he delved into the mystery. The wizard returned to his journey to Fritania and never stopped again. The more he rested, the longer the children stayed abducted. The sun was still out but fading in the early evening as he come upon Fritania. Walking the streets to the town, to the town keep, many citizens stared in disbelief that he was back from the western woods. He passed by the gifted obsidian and Roderick Derrick, the innkeeper, and Jarl's brother was standing outside. Roderick looked questioningly, questioningly at the wizard. He smiled big and kept walking toward the keep. The wizard arriving at the keep knocked on the main hall door. A guardsman opened and motioned him inside. Walking him to the throne of the Jarl where Simon Derrick sat with only one guardsman to his right. I trust there is news, wizard. Indeed, I have a lead from the crones themselves. So they were helpful, the Jarl asked. They were, but it took some convincing to get them agreed to, to help, the wizard said slyly. They're dead then, Simon asked. Yes, but they did attack me first. I tried diplomacy, but the wizard explained before being interrupted. No need to explain. I will not jail you for that, Jarl Simon laughed. They were a blight on this town. They caused a lot of grief for my brother and his inn, along with continuing to try and lure people back to their home, the Arl explained. They troubled Roderick? The wizard asked. For a short time, yes. He was having trouble at the gifted obsidian. Food was terrible. Lodging was terrible. And don't get me started on the entertainment. The worst bards in the kingdom, the Arl Simon laughed. That was the Crones' doing? The wizard asked. Oh, no, not at all. They offered him a deal to reverse his fortunes, but he turned it down. I'm quite proud of my brother for that. He put a lot of work into his inn without resorting to dealing with crones. Once he turned them down, they left him alone. I thought they never left Serpent's Grotto. That was the deal, wasn't it? The wizard asked. Yes, but when have you known a crone to keep their word? Jarl Simon asked rhetorically. The Jarl stood from his throne and reached for a bottle of mead that was sitting on the end table next to his throne. He walked toward the wizard with a noticeable limp. The wizard had not noticed the limp before because the Jarl never walked in, the pre in their previous meeting. He only stood up. A sinking feeling rose in the wizard's stomach. This couldn't be what it looked like, he hoped. The Jarl walked to another table next to the bottom of the staircase where his throne sat on the riser and grabbed two drinking glasses and filled them both with mead. The Jarl handed the wizard a glass and raised his. To the death of those damned crones, Jarl Simon toasted. Both men touched glasses and took a drink. The mead was sweet and delicious, but that thought the wizard had was biting at him. Could the Jarl himself have the cauldron and be responsible for the children? 
I would like to continue my investigation. Sadly, this is not over, the wizard said. What else is there? Jarl Simon asked. The crones had a cauldron. Someone from Fritania has it, and they've been using it to their advantage. I believe they've used the missing children as sacrifices to bend the cauldron to the will, the wizard said. You're certain someone from Fritania has it, the Jarl asked. Quite certain, and I may have a lead to investigate a place to search, the wizard stated. By all means, do so. You have my blessing, and the garrison is at your disposal. My resources are yours, the Jarl said. May I search the keep for clues? The wizard asked. Of course, you have free reign anywhere you need to go. Thank you. I will be on my way. Good. Please help those children, wizard, Jarl Simon pleaded. The wizard smiled and placed his glass on the end table. With heavy suspicion on his mind, he turned to the left hallway to the keep and began his investigation. The hallway was lined with suits of armor on display, all from past generations of the Jarl's family each suit different than the last, but all with one common thing. They all were brown and emblazoned with the family crest of the Jarl. The limp, the suits of armor, too much evidence pointing toward the Jarl himself being in possession of the cauldron. And now the wizard felt something he hadn't felt before. The further he walked down the hallway, the magic in him vibrated at a high rate, only getting higher with each passing step. He stopped to cast a clairvoyant spell, motioning his hands in the proper form. Clairvoyant spells were not very powerful, but could lead you in the right direction, especially if your magic, sense, magic senses were vibrating. The clairvoyant spell guided him to a closet door at the end of the hallway, the magic in him now vibrating at a maddening pulse. The wizard reached for the doorknob, but it was locked. No worries, as he thought to himself. He can pick small locks like these. The wizard used his lockpick and opened the door. What he saw next sent a rush of sadness through him. A small skeleton, what looked to be a child. He knelt down and touched the bones. Casting clairvoyance once more, it was powerful enough to identify the skeleton as an eight-year-old boy, a Fratania native. The wizard stood by the door and yelled for the garrison, specifically Captain Josset. The captain, the Jarl, and three extra soldiers all came running from the front end of the hallway and froze in shock when they came upon the closet with the child's skeleton in it. The wizard, with visible sadness and anger on his face, looked the Jarl directly in the eyes and spoke to Captain Josset. Captain, place Jarl Simon Derrick under arrest for the kidnap and murder of this boy, the wizard commanded. All five men looked in shocked and frozen place. Jarl Simon, visibly shaken, spoke out. I'm sorry, what? The Jarl shockingly asked. I have mounting evidence that you, Simon Derrick, are responsible for the death of this child, but also the use of a dark magic item, a cauldron that was once used by the crones. I have nothing to do with this or the crones' cauldron. Why would I send you out to investigate if I committed these acts? What of the other five missing children? The Jarl asked. I will get to them, but for now I have enough evidence. You will be under arrest while I continue my investigation. Should I find evidence you are innocent, you will be released. You have no authority here, wizard, the Jarl exclaimed. On the contrary, as a wizard who was hired by you to complete this investigation, you have given me free reign. Under the king's law, free reign, when given, allows me to remove a local official should I have mounting evidence of a crime against the crown. 
The wizard cast a revision spell, which played back everything from his conversation with the crones up to this moment, pointing out the evidence against Jarl Simon Derek. I'm sorry, sir, but he is correct. He has evidence, and now he is elected to remove you. By order of the crown, by way of this wizard, you are hereby placed under arrest until the conclusion of this investigation, Captain Josset explained. Captain Josset motioned his soldiers and they took Jarl Simon Derek to the dungeon of the keep. The captain called for more soldiers to take the skeleton and try to identify the child so his family could be informed. Though visibly shaken, the captain knew the wizard's evidence was irrefutable and the Jarl was likely guilty. The captain turned his attention back to the wizard. Thank you for your help, wizard, but we have the investigation from here. You're relieved of your duties. No, I have to finish. Those children can still be found. And we will find them. Thanks to your evidence, we have more leads and we will use them. You're done here in Fritania. You may go. What of the position of Jarl? Who will become regent? Not your concern, but it would go to the next of kin, the Jarl's brother, Roderick. Captain, please, let me help. I can be of service to this town. Here's your 200 gold. You are owed for your services. Please leave. To be honest, I've never liked magic users. Crones, witches, wizards, you're all nothing but trouble. Now because of magic, those children are missing and one is dead. Leave willingly or I will force you out, Captain Josset ordered. As you wish, Captain. Just please, find those children, the wizard said sadly. We will. Pay no worry to that. The wizard made his way out of the keep, still feeling the sense of defeat. He was so close. Those children could be somewhere in the keep along with the cauldron. The cauldron, that dangerous token of the crones' dark magic, it needed to be destroyed. Deep in his heart, the wizard hurt. But in his mind, his logic told him he did the job and was dismissed. It was over. He had to continue his journey to the next town. Walking down the street of the keep, the citizens were all talking. Word of the Jarl's arrest must have made it to the townsfolk. The wizard faced icy stares as he made his way back to the inn. He felt he should get a meal and say goodbye to Roderick and inform him of the news he would be the new Jarl. The wizard made it to the gifted obsidian and walked in. It was rather quiet for the hour, where at any other time this inn would be bustling with the gossip, but the gossip was too alluring for the masses. Wizard hung his head on the coat rack next to a bare mannequin and placed his staff next to his hat on a weapons hook on the coat rack. The wizard noticed Roderick Derrick, the innkeeper, come from a door behind the bar. Roderick was alarmed by the sight of the wizard and jumped, clearly not expecting him. The wizard laughed and walked up to the bar and sat on a stool. <laughs> I didn't mean to startle you, Roderick. Oh, that's quite all right. Um, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be investigating? Well, that's why I'm here. I've been relieved of my duties. So is your brother. Simon, why would he be relieved? My evidence so far is pointed towards your brother being the kidnapper. He's been arrested. Looks like you will be regent until Captain Josset finishes the investigation, the wizard explained. Oh my, how could I not see it? My own brother. I'm at a loss for words. I'm sorry, Roderick. 
could I trouble you for some food before I leave town? The wizard asked nervously. Oh, yes, let me get you a plate, Roderick said as he stepped to the cooking pot to pour the wizard a bowl of stew. The wizard felt a strange sensation as Roderick stepped away from the back door behind the bar. Vibration, like the one he felt when he found the little boy's skeleton in the keep. And it was coming from behind that door. He was feeling this without even a clairvoyance spell. Roderick stepped back in front of the door to hand the wizard his bowl of stew, and the vibration was gone. Here you go, my friend. Eat up. If you wish to stay the night, I, I won't charge you, Roderick offered. No, I couldn't impose. I'll be on my way. I'll be on my way back to the road tonight. I just came to say goodbye. Well, I appreciate you coming to say goodbye. What will happen now with the investigation now that you are the region? The wizard asked. I suppose the first thing to do is find those children, then find the cauldron. No one needs that kind of power, Roderick said. The wizard was shocked at what he heard. Never once did he mention to Roderick about the cauldron. Another thing that the wizard quickly noticed after looking back for a split second was the bare mannequin by the coat rack. The first time he visited, there was a suit of brown leather armor with the Arles family crest emblazoned on the center of the chest. Something was not right, and a deep fear filled his emotions as he looked back to Roderick Derrick, the innkeeper, and now regent of Fritania. I did not know you knew of the cauldron, the wizard stated. Roderick's eyes widened and quickly replied, the local gossips are telling it. No, they're not. Captain Jossett would keep a detail like that quiet, the wizard said. Well... I, Roderick quickly turned and ran for the back door behind the bar. The wizard, using his magic, raised his hand for his staff and it flew into his palm. Running from the stool, the wizard followed Roderick through the door. A long staircase led to the cellar of the gifted obsidian. Cells on both sides of the cellar with one filled with four children, two boys and two girls. A fifth child was chained to his chair, sitting next to the cauldron of the crones. The cauldron was there, sitting in the middle of the cellar. It was Roderick all along. The same feeling of rage started in the wizard's emotions, but began to build up to a boiling point. He frantically searched for Roderick, but couldn't see him. One of the little girls in the cell yelled to the wizard, he's using an, an invisibility spell. The wizard raised his staff, casting a mage light spell, revealing Roderick's location, breaking his own invisibility spell. Roderick was standing right next to the cauldron. As big as the cellar was, there was no way out but up the staircase. The wizard knew he had Roderick where he wanted. The wizard motioned his hands and cast a binding spell. Roderick, though inexperienced in magic, tried casting a counter spell. It failed drastically, and Roderick became bound with glowing red bands wrapped around his whole body. The wizard, filled with anger, began tightening the bands, constricting Roderick's breathing, but doing it enough not to kill him. The wizard, with rage on his face, began the interrogation. Why? the wizard asked. The kind old man's visage dissipated, and upon his face now was a scornful scowl. He replied to the wizard not with remorse for what he had done, but with regret that he had gotten caught. I am the eldest son of my father, the previous Jarl. I should have been next in line, but I was always passed over. I was called too kind, weak, a pushover. So the heir apparent went to my brother. Simon always got what he wanted, while I was left to fend for myself. 
He got the throne when our father died, along with the money that comes with being part of a noble house. I got nothing. I bought the local inn and tried to make a good living, but nothing I could do would work. I failed miserably. I lived in poverty and my brother refused to help. I was on the verge of doing away with myself. That's when the crones came to me. Simon said you refused their offer. I did. To enter a deal with a crone would surely be a double cross, and I was not about to lose anything to those creatures. I read up on magic and learned of the power of the cauldron of a crone. So I disguised myself as my brother, even faking his limp, but never revealing who I was. I threaten the crones with their cat and give it to them in exchange for their cauldron. I hoped being disguised as my brother would throw anyone off, but the crones revealed as I walked away with their cauldron they knew who I was. They said my name, so I needed to find a way to get rid of them. That's when, lo and behold, you came, shortly after I sacrificed that boy in the cauldron. The wizard felt devastated. He thought back to his encounter with the crones and how quickly he believed them, that they did not know the identity of the thief. He was filled with regret. Had his mind not been so full of rage, he could have gotten the information out of them. There was no time for that. He continued his interrogation. You kidnapped the children before you stole the cauldron? The wizard asked. Indeed. I told you I read up on the cauldron beforehand. I wanted my preparations complete before I cast the spell. Why hide the body in the keep? My thought was no one would search there, and if they did, my brother would be prime suspect. <laughs> I guess it worked. My spell was to bring good fortune to myself and my inn. It worked because I prospered greatly. You came to town, and I thought if I were to convince you to help the, to help the investigation, you would end those cursing crows. It worked a little too well. I never expected you to find me out. You should have known better, the wizard said. I never thought my brother would actually be arrested for the crimes and I be made regent. I never meant for that. But that is my own stupidity, I guess. I'm an inexperienced magic user and I made a few mistakes. Mistakes are hardly your worries now, the wizard said. Are you going to kill me, wizard? Roderick asked sarcastically. No. That will be for Captain Josset and the Jarl to decide. The wizard placed another binding spell on Roderick, but this time on his mouth to keep him from taunting the children or the wizard himself. The wizard released the boy from the chair and opened the cell with the other captive children. All the children embraced the wizard with a hug. The wizard felt a rush of happiness and relief that these children were now safe and could be returned home. He still felt much regret over not being able to save the first boy, but at least he saved the others. At this time, the wizard noticed that the suit of armor that once adorned the mannequin lying in a dark corner, likely to keep it concealed from prying eyes. The wizard used a communication spell to, to contact Captain Jossett and inform him to release Jarl Simon. A short wait later, the two men, along with most of the garrison, arrived at the gifted obsidian. The wizard explained everything and showed them, using magic, all the conversation and the confession of Roderick Derrick. The wizard released his binding spell as the garrison troops took Roderick into custody. 
The Jarl Simon Derek, with visible disdain on his face, confronted his brother. You are a sick, twisted man. You will never see the light of day for this. Your days are done. Roderick just stared at his brother, no remorse for any crime he had committed. The troops began walking him out, taking him to the dungeon. I would like to apologize, Jarl, the wizard said. No need. Had I been in your shoes, I would have done the same thing. It's not your fault my deceptive brother fooled you. He fooled us all, and we couldn't have done this without you. I should apologize to you, wizard, Captain Joss had said. Unnecessary, Captain. Had you not relieved me of my duties, I would never have came here and likely would have never found any of this out. Let us agree we are all sorry for everything done to one another, and now we can be friends, Jarl Simon said. Both the wizard and Captain Josset nodded in agreement. All three men shook hands. Now, that brings me to this damn cauldron. How do we get rid of it? Jarl Simon asked. Allow me, the wizard said. The wizard raised his staff in the air and began to cast a disintegration spell. The wizard used all of his magical might and placed it in his spell. A bright white light shone in the cellar and a bolt of light magic shot from the crystal adorned to the, at the top of the staff. The bolt enveloped the black cauldron. The green smoke emanating from the bowl, which signified dark magic use, dissipated. The cauldron slowly disintegrated until nothing remained. The wizard lowered his staff and smiled at the Jarl and the captain. All three men visited for a while afterwards, enjoying each other's company. The children were all returned safely to their parents and their homes. The boy that did not survive was given a funeral, which the wizard attended, paying his respects. Roderick Derrick would spend the rest of his life in the dungeon of Fritania, never seeing daylight again. He went mad with all of the constant darkness. His use of dark magic ultimately became a source of torture for him. A local man took over the gifted obsidian and was prosperous. With both Roderick locked away and the crones dead, Fritania knew nothing but peace for the rest of its days. As for the wizard, his adventures continued. But those... Those are stories for another time. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking rad. That was that was like um, seriously. I thoroughly enjoyed that. May I suggest that you record yourself reading your stories? You have a voice of an angel, and um, <laughs> it was uh, amazing to just listen to that. So, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, thank, thank you guys for uh, letting me do that. That I, was awesome. I, it's, I, I, this is the first time I've uh, read anything of mine out loud like that. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that was, I'm glad uh, you did. You fucking yeah! I, you set the scene. You set the story. I, I was with you the entire time. I, I wasn't I, like it was amazing. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Man, that was a trip. I thoroughly enjoyed how you like gave uh, some of the individual characters like a voice and stuff that really brought out the story a lot. I, that can, that comes from my uh, drama club experience trying to do that. And I, I know I probably screwed up a couple of times and I know I slipped into an accident here or there. But <laughs> Hey, man, that was fucking great. <laughs> yeah. So what was the inspiration behind this story, if you don't mind me asking? Um, how'd you come up with this one? 
Uh, well, like I said before I started it, um, I thought of, because I'm a huge Western fan, so I thought of the man with no name Westerns of Clint Eastwood. And I thought, now what would what would it be like if I put this in a fantasy setting and instead of a gunslinger, what if I made it into a wizard? And that's basically where that came from. That's cool. And I didn't, I wrote this story because of a very good friend of mine asked me to write it for his website. And I did that. And um, then he convinced me to start my own website, which I did. And we both kind of cross promoted it, so to speak. Damn. Well, yeah, that's excellent. I hope, uh, I hope you, you write more with this character, the wizard. I hope it's I, not I've, just one story. I've, I've had a few people tell me they want to hear more about the wizard, and I had I no intentions do. of doing it, but hearing the response, I just may have to revisit this character again. I think you have to. I mean, I would I would thoroughly enjoy it if you did. Okay, it's settled then. I'm doing more wizard stories. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you, you have a knack for storytelling. It's yeah, you found your thing, and it, you do a damn good job at it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank for you. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, we've been going pretty long here, um, but I want to thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your your, your short story and like doing a great job with it. I I'm speechless. It was great. Um, I felt I felt like a D and D campaign the way you told it. <laughs> You know, you, you put me in the you put me in the setting. You gave me the characters, and it was it was excellent. It was good uh, imagery. The way thank you. you were using your yeah the storytelling. So thank you, man. That was awesome. And uh, definitely thank both of you guys for having me on here and allowing me to you know giving me this little platform to to talk and to actually read this, which was yeah. for me this was a lot of fun to read that That's, out. Yeah, that was that was a blast. And um, why don't you, can you just tell our listeners um, where they can find you and like your your short stories that you that you've started and that you've completed? Yes, absolutely. Um, my website it's my name it's christopherepley.com. Uh, I have a section on there that I will periodically post short stories in uh, little PDF formats, and you can read them right there on the website. Uh, this story is up there if anybody wants to check that out. As And there is also another one on there, A Cold Night in Bryleshire, which has a lot of elements that will be in my full-length novel that is on the, on the site as well. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go yeah. check that out after this. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Th- thank you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in November for the Vapid Show, man. It's going to be killer. Absolutely. I look forward to it as well, Scout. Yep. Hey, Nick, you got anything? Are you good? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm so uh, fucking like into that story. Like, I want to reread it now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go reread it. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, that was, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. That was a blast. And thank you guys. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. Okay. And I'm going to put a disclaimer in. This is just between the three of us at the beginning to make sure people listen to the story and not just like blow it off because it's a fucking amazing. 
awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can come, welcome back anytime, and um, yeah, we'll talk soon. And you guys have a great evening. You, you guys too. too, man. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.